Programming Notes episodes, the general concept is that you can get an extended summary of episodes if you decide that you'd rather have that than listen to the episodes themselves, as well as some notes about what's going on in the community or how you can be helpful and useful in the community. Programming notes for the week of September 11th, 2022. So the general call out this week is to just start getting more involved and find people you'd want to connect with in the community. It's pretty simple, honestly. You can even just post something that says, I want to host a roundtable on this topic. Who wants to come and chat? You don't have to be an expert. I'm not an expert. Something like that. I bet you'll get lots of people interested. Community work really isn't that hard. I just have far too much on my plate and I'm honestly burning out on doing a lot of the community stuff. Look for some potential community changes on some of this stuff in the not too distant future, but really please start to connect to each other. I can't be the only person connecting anybody in in this community. Find the people that are talking about the things you want and just reach out. Every single person I talk to wants to talk to more people and yet Every single person is hesitant to reach out to anyone else. So on to what we've got on tap for the week. On Monday, episode 127, a quest for readiness, the importance of capacity to change in data, which is an interview with Winfried Etzel. So there's some great insights from Winfried who runs the data mesh community in Norway in this one. How can we actually teach teams in, in, you know, in general but especially in data and with data, to be willing and able to change? How can we take in the feedback, iterate, all that things? How can we leverage teams that are focused on enabling teams to transform their own data capabilities without that transformation team, one, doing the work, and two, thus becoming a bottleneck and causing other long-term ownership issues? On Tuesday, it's episode 128, Data Mesh, Disillusionment, Delusions, and Dichotomies, Mesh Musings 29, in case you can't tell, I love alliteration. So basically, there are two big delusions going on about Data Mesh. Well, there are more than two, but two that I'm going to talk about here. One, that simply because it's hard, people are going to give up. The upcoming trough of disillusionment is going to mean that Data Mesh is dead. And then, oh, Data Mesh is dead, long live Data Mesh, or, or whatever. It's something like that, right? The other delusion is that we are only really hearing about success stories right now, right? So it seems like the industry is trying to say everyone will succeed with Data Mesh and that everyone is succeeding because that's the only thing we're hearing and that Data Mesh then seems far easier than it actually is. Both of those feel very wrong to me. So I'm going to kind of analyze that and and kind of uh, shine a bit of a light on it. On Friday, it's episode 129, Iterating Data Governance for Data Mesh, Lessons Learned from the Data Governance Coach, which is an interview with uh, Nicola Ascom. So Nicola, aka the Data Governance Coach, shares her learnings from working with a client to build out the early necessary data governance capabilities for doing data mesh 
you know, again, one of her clients and how you can understand how she understands and like you can too, you won't get it perfect. And how do you set yourself up for iteration, right? You can't be too precious about trying to get everything absolutely right up front in any aspect of data mesh, but especially governance. We don't have a lot of great patterns to look at for how we do this federated computational governance. So be prepared for not getting it perfect up front and that being okay as well. So on to the extended summaries for uh, the two interviews for this week. Extended summary for episode 127, A Quest for Readiness, The Importance of Capacity to Change in Data, an interview with Winfried Etzel. So I interviewed Winfried, who is an information strategy consultant at the consulting company Bouvet. He's also a board member of Dama Norway and host of the Meta Dama podcast, which has episodes in both English and Norwegian. Winfried shared that in the Data Mesh Meetups for Norway, most of the discussion thus far has been about domain-driven design for data, data discoverability, and data as a product. If you are not sure exactly how to approach these topics or what they mean for your organization, you are not alone out there. <laughs> and no one is quite sure what federated computational governance means either. That's one that everybody is struggling with. In order to do data match, Winfried believes people should consider the emerging pattern of transformation teams. These are teams that help domains by collaborating to build out their first data product, or possibly more, while also upskilling the team. Scott Hawkins at ITV, episode 48, discussed something similar. The transformation teams also are a great source for finding reuse as they are working with the domains and can more easily recognize patterns when looking for reuse, right? They can keep an eye out. They also can have an excellent perspective on how your implementation is going thus far. We need people that can enable change while also giving guidance. A concern though, is that a number of transformation teams, that number is limited, right? How can you go broadly in the organization quickly if you have a limited number of teams? Or do you need to be in a rush to go that broadly? It's a question that I know people really, really want to get to, quote unquote, the end of their journey, but we got to be patient, right? In Winfried's view, we need to take far more concepts from software engineering in general in data. This has come up a lot, right? Shemak has stated this multiple times as many, many software engineering practices inspired parts of data mesh. Both Winfried and Jamak mentioned team topologies as a crucial tool for change management. We also should look to other areas outside software too. Winfried sees history as providing a lot of inspiration for how we think about data literacy. Political science can be a good way to think about organization design and communication. Law has millennia of examples of good ways to present your arguments and, or your own context. Manufacturing can give us good insight into how we think about products, including lifecycle, as Ala Hale discussed in her recent episode. 
There are many data maturity models, most of which are not that differentiated, according to Winfrey. They are still useful when assessing your readiness to do something like data mesh at the macro and the micro slash domain level. Are you organized correctly? Do you have the capability to do what's needed? Do you have the capacity, both meanings, the amount of time and the capability to change? Do you have the capacity to change? Are your teams ready and willing to share and collaborate and work together? Per Winfried, in general in data, we have not adapted and adopted change management techniques all that well. We need to focus on providing strong learning paths so individuals can change to being data citizens as we evolve the overall organization. To inspire people to want to change and get better with data, we need to share with them how data is important to their role. Otherwise, it is homework with no purpose in their heads. Should we go for a big bang approach or incremental domain by domain? Winfried thinks it shouldn't be only one or the other. When it comes to things like upskilling or even changes to ways of working, big bang might be a better approach. So you aren't having to constantly fight against the inertia and the kind of rigidness uh, or the, the way that people are clinging to the historical patterns and, and working across so much time to get everyone to a new way of working, right? Those are tough to overcome. But I asked about trying to do a big bang approach to new responsibilities, and we both agreed that can lead to a lot more issues than it's probably worth. And we need to make sure we keep ethics as something top of mind when people learn about data, right? When we're upping their data literacy. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Winfrey doesn't believe data ethics as a practice has really matured yet. There is, of course, AI ethics as a topic that's been out there, but that is typically about biased inputs, not as much that should we really even be trying to figure this out. Companies don't really see the business value in data ethics quite often, which is a challenge that everything has to be done to drive to be about driving business value. There are many cases, especially in the U.S. now, where we need to think about potential harm more than just potential risk of data exposure or, um, you know, is this legal? We need to really start to think about, is this ethical far more often? Winfried shared his view on a few things regarding data mesh and domain data maturity. Um, the most data mature domains typically want to do everything themselves. That includes not just building, but even things like defining data products. That can lead to challenges when trying to integrate their work into the broader mesh. The domains you should look for are the ones that, you know, quote unquote, understand what they need to do, even if they can't do it yet. Those domains have the capacity, the willingness, and the ability to change. Extended summary for episode 130, iterating data governance for data mesh. Lessons learned from the data governance coach, an interview with Nicola Ascom. So in this episode, I interviewed Nicola, who's a data governance consultant, simply known as the data governance coach. She's also the host of the data governance podcast. 
So Nicola started the conversation sharing her thoughts on quote-unquote normal data governance. What does it even mean to be normal in data governance? Is that federated, centralized, decentralized? What she's seen is that functional data governance, you know, at organizations of scale, is not centralized in the day-to-day decision-making. The central data governance team just can't have the context, the knowledge, to make good decisions quickly, if at all. But there absolutely needs to be a central team to provide support and knowledge and set federated teams up to succeed. The central team needs to focus on friction reduction and value-add work. To do that, you need to create standards and processes. But she emphasized keep your frameworks, processes, and standards as simple as possible. No one single all-encompassing standard, please. You know, uh, Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg also mentioned some similar things in their episode. As an example of functional governance, Nicola talked about how you can't just have universal data quality standards. Every use case may require a different combination of, of data quality, right? Why optimize for completeness if it's not needed? A central governance team should be focused on defining aspects of data quality and how to measure it. That way, data consumers can understand the quality of what they might consume without learning you know, the different ways that somebody measures completeness or accuracy or anything like that for each new data product or data source that they're looking at. But we are also aren't setting the data quality requirements for each data product itself. On Data Mesh specifically, uh, Nicola ag- agreed with most guests. Data Mesh is very much about the, the people side, right? That means that the central governance team needs to collaborate with people outside that central team to iterate and approve upon the data governance approach. Feedback leading to improvements is necessary. The governance team can't just issue decrees from on high. A part of data mesh that excites her is trying to solve for the age-old challenges in general, of ensuring the data is the right data and that we get it in front of the right people to answer questions about the business. You know, lowering friction to leveraging our data. What right means is always somewhat open to interpretation, of course, but I think it's it's a good concept to think about (laughs) somebody's asking this question, what's the right data to get in front of them? How do we do that more often? One thing Nicola has learned working on a data mesh implementation herself is that while in data mesh, there are a few new responsibilities that are called out explicitly, they they might fall under different roles in in different domains, right? Sarita Baxt talked about this a lot in her episode too. Some responsibilities may fall under a data owner in one domain and under a data steward or a mesh data product owner in another. The differing role types she recommends are data owner, mesh data product owner, and data steward. So find a a standard setup for your roles and responsibilities, and then let the domains move those responsibilities around as needed. Don't make the domains come up with everything from scratch, but don't hold on to your standard setup so closely either. Everything in data mesh is about iteration and evolution after all. I asked what actually is, quote unquote, good enough data governance to get moving in a data mesh implementation. This has been something that's been blocking a lot of people from moving forward. Nicola pointed out that no matter what, you won't get your data governance perfect when starting, especially with something as immature as data mesh is right now. So you have clear indications, but nothing set in stone. Like, what, what are you trying to do? But you don't have to really... 
really, really hold tightly to anything and you shouldn't, right? And use her, her building blocks framework, which I'm going to get to in a second. Also think about what capabilities are needed early to drive value. That some complicated interoperability standards that you're trying to make last for the next decade, or is it some data quality definitions measurement to enable people to understand and trust the data? Is it some data discoverability, some metadata, you know, base standards so that people can actually understand what they're looking at, right? <laughs> Probably the, the, the second part of that. So according to Nicola, every data governance approach should be tailored to the organization, but it should start from a few building blocks. We can't do copy paste, but we can look at these building blocks. So the first one is policy mandates. Who will be required to do what and why? Domains just don't do data governance out of the goodness of their hearts, right? Nobody does. If you don't make it as an actual mandate that people do certain things, then they're not going to do them. Second would be processes and standards. So lay out what you are trying to achieve and why, and then give people an easy way to achieve that. You know, create standard processes and, and standards so that people have lower friction, right? That, that, will drive consistency and reduce friction. It's a win-win for everybody, right? And then the final one is roles and responsibilities. It's very crucial to assign ownership and lay out exactly who owns what. We've all been to meetings with no clear next steps and they're almost always a waste of time. Who owns driving things forward? Be clear about it. Like really <laughs> don't leave to, uh, you know, what what people are, are guessing. Don't Leave it to that. Be explicit. I've talked about this multiple times as well in, in uh, past episodes. Some additional data mesh governance advice that Nicola gave. Number one, look for a relatively simple first use case. What has a high chance of success where you can also get some momentum and learnings and obviously drive some value? This is something that a lot of people have said. This next part isn't, though. So number two would be don't only look for the simple use cases early in your journey. That can lead to not being able to actually face the hard parts when they come. And with data, of course, the hard parts will come, right? Don't make it so that you're, <laughs> you're, you can't handle PII at all. And you're like, oh, we've got this data mesh thing down and we're, we're you know, flowing with it. And then six months in, all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, we can't do this pretty basic functionality that's just kind of hard to, to implement. Third one would be communicate early and often that you want to collaborate with people around your data governance and that things will change. Solicit feedback and make constituents part of shaping your governance. Don't, again, make it from issued as decrees from on high. And number four, would make it clear to that the central team is there to help and not control. Help around, you know, making sure people are compliant with things, help with reducing friction, whatever that is, help them when they need some, some backing, right? I don't know exactly how to apply GDPR to this. Okay, we're, we're going to talk with you about that. But that they're not the ones making, the central team isn't the ones making the day-to-day the -day decisions. A general sen sentiment that has worked well for Nicola in the past is telling people outside the governance team, if you don't get more value from you know, actually doing this data governance than you put into it, we'll change the way we do data governance. We'll change our framework. 
the governance team that she's been working with when she says that may feel a bit, uh, well, is that really okay to say, you know, hey, 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 please don't say that. But if you aren't adding value with your governance outside of, you know, the regulatory compliance bit, why are you doing governance if you're not adding value? Teams will want to participate if you give them a reason. So find the value add reasons, right? And again, look for the things that lower the friction to actually working with data well. I asked about a particularly difficult question in Data Mesh as well. Who owns downstream data products? You know, data products combined from the data of upstream data products. For Nicola, if the data isn't transformed, the ownership of, of that data and that data product, even in those downstream data products, should still be whoever owns the original data product. Essentially, the ownership still flows if the data isn't transformed. But that can cause issues as well if the upstream mesh data product owner doesn't have direct control of how data is used downstream. So high communication, trust, and you know, good lineage and all that are very necessary to make that work. It's something that is still, I think, an open question for a lot of organizations in data mesh. According to Nicola, some people are looking at data mesh as only making data more accessible and usable to existing data consumers. But that's a big missed opportunity. Data mesh can make data more accessible to more of your, your people, driving better decisions. We, we need data literacy to get to that you know, target outcome, but implementing data mesh will lead to a, a lot of wasted potential if we don't expand the data consumer pool. And in wrapping up, Nicola talked about how you can actually drive buy-in in general for data governance. I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit of, <laughs> you know, prove value, keep uh, talking about being value add. But while trying to sell to everyone on, you know, upping your, your data governance game with the same message is, is not likely to succeed. Data governance really does have value for all participants. If it doesn't, as Nicola noted, again, you need to change your approach. So drive that home, tailor the message and, and speak to after listening about people's pain points. And then how can you help them address that pain through, through data governance? How can you add value to what they're doing?